Before we jump into the series today, as we kick off a new series, it is Easter, and, and uh, in case you don't know the significance of why uh, Christians actually meet on Sundays, it's because of this moment, right? So the idea is that we don't meet on the Sabbath, which was always when God's people met. Um, it's, it was the significance of the Christians, the early church, that wanted to meet on Sunday uh, to, to represent and to remember uh, this moment in time, this moment that we're going to read about in just a minute. Because uh, it starts in those words, right? It starts in this, this is in Matthew, early on Sunday morning. As the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. And the angel spoke to the women and said, don't be afraid. He said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And here's those words. He isn't here. Right? He is risen from the dead, and I like that he put this at the end, just as he said would happen. Right? He called it. Am I right? And there's an awesome tradition from the early church. I don't know how far back it goes. It's originally from the Orthodox and Latin. Uh, I don't speak Latin. I don't know about you. So we'll use the English side of this tradition. And it's a lot of traditions, which is calm response. And so a lot of times, at least you'll hear it, someone will say he is risen. Someone will say Christ is risen. And the response is, anybody know it? Look at all you Southern church folk. I love y'all. Look at you guys. You know it. All right, so we're going to have that a couple times this morning. He is risen. Fantastic. And that is, we don't have very many traditions of journey, but that's a fun one to continue uh, to see happen in the church, right? This call and response. I don't know about you. I don't know what your week was like or your month was like as you prepared to come to Easter, as you prepared for this holy week, and maybe you maybe you participated in Lent. Um, I'm not sure your traditions, but uh, hopefully you had some time. We had a great family experience on Good Friday. Uh, here's a church, uh, uh, Nicole and and, and, uh, and Whitney and Shin, our, our next generation ministry, family ministry, they led us through some amazing worship and time together on Friday night. Hopefully you were able to be engaged in something, but if you're anything like me, I'm just going to throw this out there for me, even though I got to engage in Friday night, which was good, um, I don't know about you, but like spring and Easter just, I don't know, it just came out of nowhere, you know? And I can read a calendar, I promise you. I, I know, I knew when the day was coming. But it just kind of feels like it snuck up on me. It just feels like it just, like all of a sudden, bam, it's here. And, and it was really kind of crazy. And so we're excited about this series. This was the thing I was kind of marking on my calendar was to start off and kick off this Victory in Jesus uh, series. And the theme verse comes over the next few weeks as we talk about it from Romans 8, 37. This is just the last part of the verse where it says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, through Jesus Christ who loves us, right? The overwhelming victory. And I love this particular, this is from the NLT, but I love this phrase because there's different phrases used, but I love this, this use of this adjective to highlight what kind of victory, to kind of give some color, if you will, to the victory that we are experiencing and what we get to experience because of Jesus. And if I just look at, the, most of you guys know what this word means, but I just looked at the definition, a few things to point out. Overwhelm, is to give too much of a thing to someone or something, right? To inundate, to be too strong for, to overpower, or to defeat completely. 
Now, to be honest, when you and I use this word, right, kind of like normal Joes and, and Janes, right, when we use this word, it's almost always a little bit more negative, right? It's almost always, even Trace and I were talking about it this week, what are some things that, that you know, we, to air at times in which we felt overwhelmed and you know, my wife's kind of wired a little different than me. She rattled them off really quickly. Uh, she remembers them really well, right? I am the more of the optimist in our relationship, and so I was kind of struggling like, well, have there been times we're overwhelmed? She's like, yes, let me remind you of all the times we've experienced an overwhelming sensation, right? And I, again, it doesn't really matter how you're wired. I guarantee you, you've had that feeling, that sense, that overwhelming sense in you, in just your life. If you've lived long enough, you, I know you've experienced this, right? I know you have. I don't know if anybody knows what whelmed is, but we certainly know what overwhelmed is. And as I was praying about it and thinking about it, honestly, I just couldn't, one of the reasons I feel like Easter and spring and everything just kind of snuck up on me is just this year, guys, this past 12 months, I think the best word for it is overwhelmed. It's been overwhelming. And if you feel that way, I want you to know it's okay because it has been an overwhelming last few 12 months from the pandemic and the loss of life and the struggles and the quarantines and everything else that people are experiencing. And now that we know, that, you know, now we're a year on the backside and we're seeing a lot of things that, you know, kind of in the wake, if you will, that has continued to be overwhelming. You know, uh, teen suicide is up 67% in some states. Teen suicide is up. Um, it's up from about 1 in 10 that suffer from anxiety and, and um, depressive disorders. It's now up to 4. A little more than 4 out of 10 are saying they are experiencing some uh, symptoms of anxiety and expressive disorder connected to COVID, connected to the quarantine, connected to the pandemic itself, okay? We know this, is, this has been an overwhelming time. We've had an overwhelming political season. I'm not preaching on that today. We've had an overwhelming school year, right, for the parents of kids in school and for teachers in the room and for all of you guys. There's been overwhelming stuff with work struggles. If you've owned businesses, if you've, uh, if you've lost jobs, if it's just changed dramatically, the rhythm of your family and your life. And let's face it, even before the pandemic, one of the things we're always overwhelmed with is choices because we live in an extraordinary favor in our country and, and affluence as a country. And, you know, we probably have more than we've ever, ever had in our lives. We have access to. We are connected more than we've ever been connected. And yet, honestly, people are a little bit more miserable than they've ever been as well. There's this overwhelming, if you will, overwhelming nature to our culture right now because of the past 12 months. There's a song that, I don't know how songs you know, get famous, but TikTok's one of them. I'll just throw that out there, right? There was a song actually written at the end of 2020. I don't know the band and the artist, but I do know how popular it became because people were identifying with the lyrics of the chorus, and it was becoming one of these TikTok things that was just everybody was putting out their version of this. Here's, here's the words. I should be fine, but it's all too much. I get overwhelmed so easily. My anxiety creeps inside of me, makes it hard to breathe. What's come over me feels like I'm somebody else. Chorus goes on and says, I get overwhelmed so easily. My anxiety keeps me silent when I try to speak. What's come over me? It feels like I'm somebody else. 
I get overwhelmed. Again, I don't know the artist, but this song came out and people just gravitated towards the chorus. They gravitated to kind of repeating this on TikTok over and over, singing it themselves or singing it along with the track because it was expressing how they felt. It was expressing deep down what they themselves were struggling through. Now, I look at the theme verse of the, of the, of the series, this victory in Jesus, and Paul describes it as an over overwhelming victory. And guys, I believe that's true. Here's the thing. I believe that's true. And with all of my heart, I believe we have an overwhelming victory in Christ. And yet I also experience, just like you do the past 12 months, and all of the ways in which I have been overwhelmed in the past 12 months. And sometimes it's hard. You come to church, you show up at Easter, you, you, know, you, you watch a message online, somebody talks about this overwhelming victory, and it's, it's not the way you would describe your life. And it's hard to reconcile, to believe the truth of the Word of God over what you're currently feeling, over what you're currently experiencing that is overwhelming you. And so I want to just walk through kind of how Scripture talks about the things that, that God already knew was going to kind of overwhelm us and make us feel overwhelmed. And then I want to walk us towards why this statement, this beautiful statement, as we're going to talk about the next few weeks, we have an overwhelming victory in Jesus. Not, not just because, as we celebrate today, he died on the cross and rose from the grave. That's, that should be enough but because his, in his resurrection, he brings us life, and he brings us life to the full. And so I want to walk us through what the, kind of how Scripture talks about some things that we can and will be, will be, this is a good word, overwhelmed by. First one's this. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the world, okay? Now, the world is kind of a weird little generic statement, but, you know, I know you guys feel this. I can barely... Just some mornings, I'll just throw it out there. Some mornings, I can't, I can't barely get to 9 a.m. without feeling like the world has gone completely and utterly crazy. Everybody with me? Is it just me? No, okay, I didn't think it was just me, right? Common sense is out the window. I'm in some bizarro parallel universe where up is down and down is up, right? And I really struggle sometimes. And in the world, again, is it kind of like this generic, you know, those people are all of them, kind of statement. So it gets a little bit hard because it's abstract, right? I sometimes tell, I tell our staff and give people the picture sometimes that when I feel that sense of the world, I feel like I'm, you know, those snow shovels, you know, that we buy, but we never use down here in North Carolina, um, those snow shovels that are like three foot wide. And I feel like sometimes I'm at the, I'm at the, I'm standing at the ocean and the tide's coming in and I'm just trying to push back the water in the opposite direction. That's sometimes how I feel like I, it's my picture of me trying to do what I think God's called me to do, trying to live the life he's called me to live, and the world is just coming at me. It almost feels futile. Now, here's what Jesus himself said. Jesus, after explaining some to his disciples about what he was going to be experiencing as he was making his way to the cross, as he was getting ready to sacrifice himself for us, he knew it was coming, and he wanted to, he kind of kept giving the guys little breadcrumbs and his disciples, and they'd freak out every once in a while, and they didn't understand what he was talking about because he sometimes wouldn't be as clear. And this is one of those statements where he, he kind of is helping them. He says, I've told you all this. I've explained these things to you so that you may have peace in me. 
Here on earth, read those three words out loud. Yeah. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Not you might have, not you could have, not if you don't go to church enough, you're probably going to have, right? If you don't obey me enough, you're, you're definitely going to have. No, here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. One of the translations says, don't lose heart because I have, what's the word? Read it out loud. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Don't, don't falter to that. You're going to experience it. I love Jesus as clear as he can be. You're going to have trials. You're going to have sorrows, but take heart. Don't lose heart. I've overcome the world. There's an overwhelming victory that's still there, even when we are overwhelmed by the world. Second one is that we're overwhelmed oftentimes by, by me, by us. I said me because I wanted to kind of include myself in it. Overwhelmed by me. Sometimes we just don't need the world's help, right? I got plenty of voices in my head that stop me up, okay? There's a French guy in there and you know, someone who makes up Spanish words? I don't know. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't require the world to, be, to sort of come against me. When I myself struggle, I myself struggle to be overwhelmed with what's in here, my feelings, to what's in here, how I think, with depression, with anger, with fear. We all have this. With addictions, with anxieties, with loneliness, with dysfunction. All of us have this in us, the feelings, the thoughts. We're going to be getting really deep into this in a couple weeks about the battlefield of our mind. But just, just, just understand, it's, it's understandable. We know that we're going to be overwhelmed by us, by us, by me. It doesn't even require. I call it sometimes the saboteur that's within me. Here's how Paul described it. Paul described it this way, which I think is a great moment of self-reflection. I know that nothing good lives in me. Let's just say it out loud. This sounds like a good self-help moment, right? I know that what? Say it out loud. Nothing good lives in me. This is Paul, right? That is my sinful nature. And Paul's wanting to clarify. It is the saboteur, if you will. It is the, it is the sinful nature that wants you to stay where you are and wants you to stay stuck does not want you to experience victory in Christ. It wants you to experience defeat and be overwhelmed by the world and by your thoughts and by your feelings. I want to do what's right, but I can't. He keeps going. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, <laughs> but I do it anyway. This is Paul. This is super Christian Paul. Y'all with me? And then he goes on, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. Is sin living in me? That does it. Now, that's not a cop-out for him. That's him recognizing that I can be overwhelmed all by myself. And guys, I'm telling you, for, for our culture, for this world, and including Christians, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of time, there's a lot of webinars, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of things written and studied and podcasts for us to try to figure out how to help us and how to get over the problem of us, and we don't seem to be able to do it. People continue to seem to come up short 
I'm fixing the problem of us. And then sometimes we try religion. We try the church. We try out God, right? We try out, the, we try out this thing that our friend told us about, our neighbor invited us to. You know, he showed up at Easter, and, 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 and I came a couple times. And here's the, the message paraphrase of, of this passage in Galatians, and I just love the wording because I think it brings out some meaning for us. It says, when you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you know, we sometimes treat church like a project, like a, like a plan, like an experiment. You are cut off from Christ and you fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. I showed up to church. Why hasn't my marriage changed? Anybody with me on that at all? No? Just me? Okay. I, show, I mean, I came. I did the thing. I, I checked the boxes. I, I tried this project, this experiment, this, this religious idea. And I'm expectantly waiting this immediate, you know, solution, and it doesn't come because it's not really part of Christ. It's not, it's not what he did. And it goes on to say, in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor our disregard for it, right? In Christ, neither that devotion to that gold star religion or that disregard of it. I'm going to go against everything mom and dad taught. I'm going to go against everything that, that that mean coach and that mean principal and that mean Christian school and that mean thing kind of like, you know, ang- you know put me in a way and tried to try to gaslight me and tried to change my brainwash me. I'm going to go against all those things. And he goes on to say, neither your devotion nor your anti that amounts to anything. What actually matters is something far more interior, which is faith expressed in love. That's, that's this idea of this trust in God being lived out from the inside out in love. It's very easy to get overwhelmed by us and then try to find ways, and religion even, to fix it. Another way we're overwhelmed is by the enemy. And I say this, you know, in in a phrase that I hope you understand. There's an enemy of your soul and mine. His name is Satan. His name is Lucifer. He's a very real person who fell from heaven and who has made it his mission to take you out, okay? Now, he may not have bothered that much with you, but once you gave your life to Christ, you put an enemy, you put a target on your back, right? You became a problem. And there is an enemy, and there is opportunity for us to be overwhelmed by our enemy. Okay, he, the, the scripture goes on to say, Jesus talks about him as a, as a lion, right? Roaring, as a roaring lion, seeking out who he can devour, that's how, that's, that's how the enemy is described. Here's Paul warning the church in Ephesus, telling them to kind of suit up, to, to pay attention, to put on this armor of God. He goes on to say to put on all of it so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. By the way, one of the strategies of the devil is for him to convince you that he doesn't exist. That's one of the strategies of our enemy is that it's really not a problem. It doesn't exist. He keeps going. He says, we're not actually fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Leave that verse up for me, Tony. I think this is important because, because and, I'm not, and I'm not trying to get everybody off social media or whatever the case is, but I just want you to understand, when you get that like feeling in you and you're getting ready to blast somebody, you know, you're getting ready to tweet them some truth, you know, I want you to just remember that, that it's pretty clear in Scripture. Our enemies really aren't flesh and blood. That's not who the enemy actually is. 
the other person on the other side of that post or comment or tweet. You know, it's, it's not really the enemy. Matter of fact, we're told who they are. They're our neighbors. And what are we supposed to do with our neighbors? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That is pretty clear, too. No. Our enemies, there's an enemy, there's a spiritual realm that, that actually is in play all the time. And guys, we're a part of this world, and this world has a constant spiritual battle happening between evil and good. Not like Lord of the Rings evil and good. We're talking about Satan and God. Now, the victory's already been won, but it doesn't change that there's just still a battle going on. So Paul's telling the church, suit up, understand there's a strategy, understand there's spiritual warfare, okay, that there's something happening that you can't see, it's the unseen, but be aware. That's why we run to Scripture. That's why we trust in His Word. That's why when we pray to the Spirit, He speaks on behalf of us to God. Okay, there's a, there's a supernatural element. You can't come and celebrate Easter about the resurrection of a man who was God and who is God, you can't come celebrate that and ignore the, the supernatural and the spiritual of our faith. It's just the way it is. He says, I want you to understand, there's going to be times by which you are overwhelmed by your enemy. And I'll be honest, I think that's some of the times that we experience some things and we go through some things and you really can't point to why you feel so overwhelmed. You really can't put your finger on it. You tried to solve it. You thought, well, that's the problem. I'm going to fix that. You fixed it, and it didn't change anything because there is a spiritual battle in the the spiritual realms that you need to be tiled into and paying attention to because we can get overwhelmed by the world. We can be overwhelmed by us, by ourselves, by our feelings, by our thoughts, and we can definitely be overwhelmed by our enemy. And we work to fix it. We work in our own effort and our own strength to solve that problem And here's the thing. You've heard me say this before. This is one of those statements I like to make, right? You really can't solve a problem when you don't know what the problem is. And I say that to say, I know that we think we know what the problem is. But you really can't solve a problem until you actually know what the problem is. And I love this passage. I just want to read this section to you. Because in all the scripture that I could read about the resurrection and about all that Christ has done, you know, Paul, when he was writing to the church in Rome, he really just had a way of bringing clarity around what was going on in our world. What was the enemy doing? What do we ourselves do to make us stumble and fall? At this time, he was talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. And then he goes on to bring a real clear picture of what the actual problem is and the solution to the problem, and how we can solve this problem. Here's Romans 5. If you want to read along, I'm going to skip a few verses, but it'll be here on the screen for you. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Now, Paul is writing with an an assumption that everyone reading or understanding or listening to this would understand who they are in this picture. We are the sinners. We are the lost. We are the ones, okay, of whom Christ came at just the right time while we were hopeless to die for us. Most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Paul loves to use logic to help bring us to this understanding. 
But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still haters of God, while we were still dead in our sin and couldn't offer him anything, couldn't bring anything to him, couldn't serve him. While we were still sinners, this is how he showed his love for us, by sending Christ. And he says, and since we've been made right in God's sight, righteousness, by the blood of Christ, by his sacrifice, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. He will save us from judgment. He will save us from God's righteous, wrathful judgment that we deserve as sinners. Now, he goes on to help us again. Remember the, the origination of this problem, because we talked about this in our Genesis series, if you were here for that. He goes on in verse 12 to say that Adam sinned, and we know this from, again, studying this, that when he sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. It's, it's just kind of Paul saying, every one of us are sinners because we were all affected by Adam's sin. This one sin spread into all the world like a cancer, like a disease. And it said, but the great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift, right? There is a great difference. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace, forgiveness, right? No condemnation, unmerited favor, and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Here he starts to help them understand. You know, there's these two characters at work. And Adam did something that caused problems for everybody. But how much greater was the work of Jesus Christ, whose blood paid for your sin, who, whose blood canceled the debt for you and for me, and now can go to all those through his forgiveness and grace. And I love this verse. If by the trespasses of one man death reigned, okay, victorious, right? If by, the, by this action of one man death reigned, death was victorious, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, his gift of grace, and the gift of righteousness, the gift of right standing with God, how much more will they reign in life? I capitalized it. I want you to see those words. How much more will they reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And when I read this, and when I walk kind of new Christians and people who are just sort of examining kind of things. We all bring our stuff, our overwhelmed stuff to the table, and I can't just jump to, well, you have an overwhelming victory in Christ because he died for you. Because if you've lived in the South, you've heard some of those phrases before. I have to walk people through this to help them understand. You guys got to know what the actual problem is if you want to solve it. And the actual problem is sin. And the actual problem is that it affected every one of us. It affected you. It infected me. It caused all this huge problem for the world with our enemy, for us inside. But, but take heart when Jesus says, I've overcome the world. He says, I want you to know how much greater is this gift of grace, how much greater is this gift of right standing, how much greater is this gift to you. To reign in life. Death was what reigned before. But now you, through Jesus Christ, have this 
overwhelming victory. This victory of reigning in life because of Jesus Christ. I want to go back to that word again that we defined. Overwhelm. Is there any way we can get past this being only a negative connotation in our mind? Because that's how Paul uses it. Can we understand when we're looking at the word overwhelm that, that Paul is using it to give us an understanding of what we've received because of Jesus? That he has given too much of something to us. That he can inundate us, overpower us, that he's too strong, and he can defeat completely. That overwhelming victory. So as we talk over the next few weeks, I just want you to understand, this is where we're coming from. We're coming from this beautiful passage where Paul is telling the church that there is an overwhelming victory in Jesus. And we know that, not just because of the verses that we read, but we know there's an overwhelming hope. It's not hope like the world hopes. It's not wishful thinking, right? It's not like, I hope it works out. It's not this, this optimism. It's a hope in who he is. It's a hope in what he's done. It's a hope in what he's doing. It's a hope in what we know he's going to do. It's confidence and assurance Confidence in what we can't see. Assurance of what hasn't happened yet. That's our hope. It is an overwhelming hope. We have an overwhelming grace. Unmerited, unearned, unachievable favor of God that's been poured out through His Son as a forgiveness for you. He canceled your shame. He canceled your guilt. He canceled the debt we owed on the cross. Not just to forgive you of your sin, but to raise you to life in his resurrection. Why? Because then he goes on in verse, chapter 8 to say, Now, in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. There's no judgment. There's no shame. There's no guilt. It's an overwhelming, too much, too powerful. There's an overwhelming love. We say this as a value around here as a church. That there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. Okay? If you've been around Journey for a while, you know we, we, do, not, we do not believe in a gold star religion. Okay? Gold stars for all those people in elementary school. Remember when you got gold stars? Oh, good for you, Brian. First to hear today. Mm, gold star. You know? Oh, look at you. You didn't mess up at all this week. Gold star. We don't believe in that. We believe the word of God. That while you were a sinner, while you were separated from him, while we were haters of God, he chose to die for us and to raise into life and to victory and power for you and for me and to give us that gift free. He paid it all. And to give it to us for free. There's an overwhelming love. You can't earn that. You can't achieve it. You have to receive it. Because there's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. And by the way, just to bring some hope to you today, there's nothing you ever have done that makes him love you any less. 
I know you walked through those doors today with your guilt and your shame and your depression and your anxiety and your fear and your anger and your frustration and your confusion and your dysfunction. And you believe that because of consequences that you are experiencing in your life and you believe that because of decisions you've made and you believe because of those things in your life that you simply cannot change, that God somehow doesn't love you the same. And that's just not true. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. There is nothing you have done that makes him love you any less. It is an overwhelming love. This overwhelming victory we have in Jesus. Paul goes on in chapter 8, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to call the band up to uh, lead us in a song after this morning. But as I read this scripture, I want you to just... Again, get the context of why we chose this series to kick off Easter and why over the next few weeks we want to spend time helpfully, hopefully encouraging one another and reminding one another that we do have an overwhelming victory in Christ. We may not feel that because right now we may still be stuck in feeling the overwhelming negativity of the world and of us and our enemy. But we believe the Word of God is true that there's an overwhelming victory in Jesus. So I'm going to read, the, 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 the notes will be up on the screen, the, the scripture will be on the screen above me. But I want you to read the context. I'm going to read this context to you of Romans 8. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? The wonderful, amazing, overwhelming hope, overwhelming grace, overwhelming love. What do we say about that? How do we respond, is what Paul said. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Won't he give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us, and he was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us when we have trouble? or calamity, or persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? Because the world's answer to that is that that's true. That's right. If you experience those things, God doesn't love you. Paul's answer to that, as he brings us to this truth of the Word of God, is the truth of how much he loves us and doesn't condemn us and has freed us and has saved us. He says, does it really mean he doesn't love you? And then he goes to the context of verse 37, which is, no, despite all these things, right? Despite being overwhelmed by the world, despite being overwhelmed with your feelings, despite being overwhelmed with how your mind thinks and, and, and deceives you, despite the, the strategies of the enemy, the strategies of the devil, despite those things, overwhelming victory is ours 
through Jesus Christ. Guys, we have an overwhelming joy. We have an overwhelming power. We have an overwhelming grace and an overwhelming love and an overwhelming forgiveness and an overwhelming purpose for our lives and an overwhelming passion to serve. And we have an overwhelming Savior that gives us too much, inundates us, is too powerful, and can completely defeat what overwhelms us right now. Right? Am I right? I want you to see these words. Because Paul says, I want to take you there, but I want you to hear these words. I am convinced. Let's just say those three words together as a church. I am convinced. Okay, let's say it again like we actually are. You ready? I am convinced. Man, I hope this is you today. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the fears of today or the worries of tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. There's no power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that was revealed, revealed through Christ Jesus. Well, I hope you can say that today. We're going to sing a worship song together, but let me just pray for a minute for all of us. Let's pray. Father God, it's so easy to be distracted about the things that overwhelm us in this world. It's so easy to get distracted by what overwhelms us inside of us. And oh man, God, it's so easy to be distracted by the strategies of our enemy. That we don't get to experience the overwhelming victory that you, through Jesus Christ, have given to us. God, I pray that this morning people can say, everyone here watching and in person today can say, I am convinced. And if you can't say it, then I want, I want to pray with you right now. Just take a moment. Maybe you are returning to a relationship with God. Maybe you have never claimed to receive God's love for you. Maybe you're here today and this is the moment where you look at that and you say, I'm not convinced, but I want to be. And I want to pray for you and I want to lead you in a very quick prayer. But if that's you, would you raise your hand? this morning. Just raise your hand and say that, you know, I want to be, I want to be convinced. Absolutely. Just say these words with me very quickly. Father God, thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, who was perfect and without sin and bore my sin and my shame and my debt on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, as you rose to life to bring me life. I accept that gift that only you can provide for me. 
And as the room, as we get ready to sing, I just pray that all of us would lift up this voice of celebration as we are convinced that there's nothing in all creation that could ever possibly separate us from the love of God and that every single one of us here would understand we are no longer slaves to what overwhelms us in this world, but we have an overwhelming victory in you, Jesus.